Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, and it is now time for the Old Testament series, which I am uh, very looking forward to. I have to admit, Dr. Peter Kapsner here is uh, joining me, as he always does. And I must say, we do extensive research, massive show prep, and after it's all done, Peter, is it safe to say we hardly even need a guest? Yeah, I, I would say at this point, yeah, it's 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 more icing on the cake is, than anything. It? Yeah, it Do really is. Do we even bring our guest on? Well, or? I think it's debatable. Okay. I think I think it is. I mean, he's he has uh, he's come through in the clutch quite a bit yeah, in the has. past. So he has. Yeah. He is the professor and chair of theology at Biola University. La di da. I guess that's a big deal, right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It sounds like it. It, it does, does sound yeah. like a big chair deal. of anything. Yeah, right. And it's doctor. So uh, we're always glad to have him with us. Uh, Eric Tonis is our guest. Eric, hi. Hi, guys. Good to be with you again. Oh, yeah, it's so fun. We love you, just so you know. Let's Thanks. get that I love out of the you way. guys, too. Thanks. I love you guys. Let's sing Kumbaya. Well, all right. Peter, you start. <laughs> oh, there's no chance. Kumbaya, no, I can't. You're not joining in? I cannot find a note. I've never even seen a note that, really? I, could, that I could hit. Yeah, not close. Okay. We can start a band, the Monster Tones. <laughs> See, not, not, <laughs> I've heard better ideas in my life, right. for sure. Yeah, all right. indeed. So, Eric, we're talking about... My, Micaiah? Yeah. How do you say that? Micaiah, yeah. Micaiah. Or Micaiah. Mi- yeah. Yeah. I, there's a lot of vowels in that one. Yeah. 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 So it uh, it's a common Hebrew name in the Bible, and it means, who is like Yahweh? That's all I know. Yes. So get me Indeed. started. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's incredible. He's one of those one-hit wonders that <laughs> shows up makes a huge impact and teaches us a whole lot. And then we really don't hear from him again. And so just starting off, it's just a great example of how many incredible godly people there are in the world. Sometimes we don't even know their names, but this guy is really a hero of the faith and couldn't be more relevant to our day, I think, than he is. He's, his story's found in First Kings 22, and he is a great example to us of someone who fulfills the meaning of his name. He he knows that the Lord is the Lord. And that's the goal of our lives is to know who God is and live accordingly. And he's a great example of doing that in a really challenging context. Yeah, so take us into the story a bit, because it actually does involve the um, the intersection of both kingdoms coming together around sort of a battle, and he stands somehow in the gap of all, but there's a lot in the story. Just get us started with maybe uh, some yeah, of the... Yeah, so, the... so this is in the time of the divided kingdom. You've got Israel and you've got Judah. You've got King Ahab over Israel and Jehoshaphat over Judah, and they visit each other. They're on friendly terms at this point, and... Ahab wants to go and take back the land of the Arameans, and Jehoshaphat isn't quite sure about whether they should go and and take that land, go into battle like this. And so they hear from these prophets who are really telling Ahab what he wants to hear. They're just saying, go, O king, you will you will succeed. And the, the, the head prophet acts like he's got horns and he's, he's saying, <laughs> you'll succeed. You will gore them like horns. And he's really telling the king what he wants to hear. And Jehoshaphat 
who is generally a, a godly king, one of the good ones, he, he just knows something's amiss. And he says, is there a prophet of the Lord we can hear from? And Ahab is so honest. He, he says, well, there's one, but I hate him. <laughs> because, and then he's super honest. He says, because he never says anything good about me. And Jehoshaphat says, well, that's the one I want to hear from. And so they go and get him. And he might have already been in prison. And they go and get him and bring him in. And on the way, there's this fascinating conversation between between Micaiah, Micaiah and the messenger. And the messenger says, look, Micaiah, the, all the prophets are saying this war is a good idea. So would you please just go along with them? He seems to have Micaiah's self-interest in mind. And the key to the whole story is is what Micaiah says. He says, as the Lord lives, in verse 14 of of, uh, 1 Kings 22, what the Lord says to me, that is what I'll speak. And so he just says, you know, even if I'm completely outnumbered, which he's about to be, he says, I'm going to tell what the Lord says is true. And so he goes in, and the prophets are all cheering on the, the king's decision going to war. And he says, all right, what do you think, Micaiah? And at first, it seems like what goes on is he sort of mocks the prophetic, you know, buttering up process. And he says, go, o king, and you will succeed. And, and Ab says, come on, what do you really think? And he says, you're going down. Hmm. And and these prophets, they all have a lying spirit in their mouths. And and the lead prophet is ticked, and he comes up and he slaps Micaiah in the mouth, which is a real amazing gesture for a prophet. You know, remember Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips, which is what he does for a living. He speaks prophetic words with his mouth. So to slap a prophet's mouth is an especially heinous insult. And, and he, he goes and says, well, how did the Lord's spirit go from me to you? And apparently on his way back to prison, he, he basically just keeps saying, if, if my words aren't true, then then you're not going to have peace. Mark my words, basically, is what he says, is he's brought back to prison and has to go on meager rations from now on. So he takes major personal uh, cost for saying what the Lord says. And I just think he's so heroic for us in a day when, I don't know, in our culture, at least the evangelical church can seem like we're sort of insecure junior hires wanting everybody to like us and in a popularity contest, instead of just boldly, prophetically proclaiming what the Lord says is true and and letting the chips fall where they may, according to the sovereignty and providence of God. So I, he just is a heroic figure to me that I absolutely love. I actually, we have friends, after I preached this sermon, they ended up naming their son after this guy. And so, so uh, yeah, he's, he's somebody worth naming your son after. Mm. That's uh, so good. I think it was... Were you mentioning verse 4, that I will only say what the Lord tells me? It's 14, oh, yeah, 14, 22, yeah, 14, I thought, sorry, boy, yeah. At 14, uh, but uh, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Wow, right. that, that was, when you said that and made that point, I thought, I've already had my money's worth, we can let him go. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and it's so interesting, the messenger says to him, behold, the words of the prophet's with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. He seems really concerned about Micaiah's health here. And and so he's pleading with him, come on, don't, don't do what you apparently have done before. Because, I mean, Ahab says, this guy hates me. He never says anything good about me because Ahab's a wicked king, right? And so he's got this guy who's always 
speaking God's truth toward him, and he's tired of it. And and the, the messenger seems really concerned about Micaiah, and he just says, look, I don't care if if I'm the only one. If the Lord tells me to speak, I'm going to do it. And, and what do you hear these days about, oh, Christians are on the wrong side of history. All, you know, if popular opinion's against you, you better get in line with popular opinion. And there's a time when Christians just need to take a stand for truth, even if it's highly unpopular, not as an excuse to be jerks, but but when we are humbly preaching the Word of God and, and, and living and, and teaching the Word of God in a way that may really conflict with the culture in ways that increases the, the scorn being heaped. I mean, after all, Jesus says in John 15, the world hated me, the world's going to hate you. And so don't be surprised when that happens and be strong. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest, but Eric, living in a cancel culture that we are today, it does it's, the stakes are higher, and people are, are maybe might be more reluctant. But I love your point. Yeah, and if you go back to ver, uh, to chapter twenty, you get this real glimpse in God's goal in all of it. So why do we speak the word of the Lord, regardless of what the practical outcome may be for our lives? And He says, "What's He up to all the time?" He, he says. And you shall know that I am Yahweh. You know, whenever you see all caps, L-O-R-D in your English Bible, that's this sacred name, this this great I am, who's the faithful God of the covenant that you can trust. He's really the Lord. And, and that follows after they're reducing Yahweh to being a, really a territorial deity. It, the Lord is a God of the hills, but he's not a God of the valleys that, okay, he's got his jurisdiction over there. But don't think he, he's the Lord of everything. And the point then, the big picture is, yes, he is. He's the creator. He's almighty God. And any other so-called God is just that, a so-called God. It's a false God. And so to worship anything but what the one true God is going to lead to disaster for you personally and culturally and in any other way. So, so it, the point is, knowing the Lord is the Lord. And if that's the case... Well, why would you represent anybody else in what you say and teach and live? Mm, so good. We'll take a little break. Dr. Eric Tonis is our guest, and we are talking about Micaiah. You can uh, uh, learn about him in First Kings, and we'll learn a lot more when we come back. back. We're talking about Micaiah today in our Old Testament series. Dr. Peter Kapsner and I are awfully glad to have uh, Eric Tonis as our guest. Uh, Eric, uh, so are you like in a good mood after the game on Sunday? Well, uh, yeah. It, it was it was a great game. I couldn't believe how good all the playoff games were. Yeah, so close. Indeed. Great season for yeah. football. Remember, for years, that Super Bowl was just was a terrible game, but <laughs> well, no, it was pretty yeah. good. But uh, you live in Southern California, so were, are you, were you pulling, pulling for the Rams? I do, but you know, this probably is not say something good about me. I have found that, so I lived in the Midwest. I lived on the East Coast for a long time. 
what I've always found in me is this inclination to root for the team everybody where I live hates. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes things more interesting yeah. for me. So, yeah. so I, actually, when I was a kid in in the Northeast, I was a Rams fan. But now I'm, that I'm out here, I just find myself rooting against teams they hate. So, like, I wear my Yankees hat around here. <laughs> people get mad, and it just it kind of makes me laugh. Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, clearly you're not not out to make friends, which is one of the things I appreciate about you. I just want it to be interesting. It's no fun if everybody's cheering for the same team. Yeah. Well, Peter's got a great question. Yeah, well, in, even in light of that, Micaiah's standing alone, right, in the midst of all of these 400 prophets and, 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 and the king, it. right? But I'm curious. I was just saying, as you were going through the story a bit, Eric, I was sitting there trying to put myself in his shoes, and, and 400 people in a room is, is not nothing. That's a lot of people in the room, and there's also somebody who's able to wield some measure of power to affect what your next weeks and months and years might look like, depending on, on what you say. It's a bit of speculation, perhaps, but he seems to have a quiet confidence about him. He seems to have just an, an assuredness as he's standing in the midst of that. And any sense of where from his background or what, what was going on in his life that he could stand there in that kind of place with that kind of confidence? Well, you know, we don't know much about him. It's amazing how little we know about him. But it seems like he had had a lot of practice having backbone. I mean, he had a, his reputation preceded him. That This is the guy who's consistently spoken against this wicked king. And and so I do think it's important to realize that courage can be something you build over time. It's not just something that automatically happens. And, I, and the, what's the quote? That uh, courage isn't not being afraid. It's being afraid and going anyway. And it, I, I think if we wait till we're completely past fear of obeying God, that we're not going to grow and develop courage the way we need to. But he had obviously learned that truth isn't determined by the majority vote, but God's sure word. And so, you know, it's interesting in a democracy where we live, we tend to think, well, the the majority vote determines what's true. But the Bible says, let uh, God be true and every man a liar. In other words, if the whole world took a vote and unanimously outvoted God, his one vote would be the right one. <laughs> so so this idea that democratic vote or opinion polls somehow determine the truth or someone's subjective experience or intuition somehow determines truth. So it really boils down to the question of whether God is the Lord and his word is true and then we have to hearken all the way back to that garden where the first lie was told about God by Satan himself. And, and it was one that questioned his authority and then his goodness. You know, he doesn't have your best interest in mind. You better fend for yourself. And, and Micaiah had obviously gotten to the point where he said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God's word, even if it has drastic practical ramifications on my life. Hmm. That's pretty significant. That's, that's, yeah, that's yeah. why the health, wealth gospel, the prosperity gospel— is is such a terrible lie because, I mean, this guy, because of his faithfulness, ends up in prison with, with bread and water. And so if we think becoming a Christian makes your life easier or it somehow leads to prosperity in this life primarily, it's just not going to match up to what, what the heroes of the faith have lived like. So when Jesus says the world hated me, it's going to hate you, just know it's part of the deal. I think it's important for us to not be blindsided by rejection for our our faith in Christ.
Mm. Is it safe to say then that uh, maybe we underappreciate the hostile territory in which we find ourselves as part of the world and, and to be looking towards the world for prosperity is, is part of that big lie versus saying, wait a second, we are in a broken, fallen world. That we are in hostile territory. Absolutely. The, the Bible repeatedly says all those who are in Christ Jesus will suffer. And and a lot of times that suffering comes from opposition and even persecution. And, you know, in our culture, I, I don't think I've ever experienced what I would classify as persecution, you know, made fun of, mocked, eye rolling. You, you can't be serious. You antiqu- antiquated, you know, Neanderthal. How could you believe that? that but there are Christians all over the world every day who are dying for their faith in Christ, and their homes and churches are being burned down. And starting in the first century, every one of the apostles was murdered as martyrs for their Christian faith, except for the apostle John, who was tortured and lived in exile because of it. So why would we expect some bed of roses as Christians? And in this culture, I think we need to increasingly be developing the depth of conviction that a guy like Micaiah had so that as things do increasingly get difficult, we'll be able to stand that test. I mean, I remember hearing somebody say that, you know, when I was a kid, being a good Christian could get you a job. Today, it could actually cost you your job. And in some ways, that's the beginning of of what we could call in, in increasing persecution, as Christians are seeing as the problem rather than the fabric of our society. Wow, that is... Um such a good point. At one point, you were uh, thought of a more highly esteemed kid that this being a Christian might mm-hmm. might take you to the top of the class and get you the, a job because you'd be reliable and trustworthy. And now they're yeah. thinking for what you might stand for, or you're one of those guys. So yeah. we're not interested. There's right, the door. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. And we need to work hard not to fulfill bad stereotypes of Christians who are nasty or arrogant or self-righteous or bigoted, that sort of thing. But but sometimes if you simply do what Micaiah does, you're going to get slapped in the mouth. And all he does is say say what God says is true. And so we just, we need to know that's part of the deal and not be shocked by it. And, and the beauty of it is we don't return evil for evil. We're the ones who, by the power of the Spirit and a transformed heart through the gospel, can love our enemies. And I think that is one of the main ways the gospel is going to advance dramatically, even before we're in the grave. I mean, my students here at Biola, the young people in my church, they're the ones I'm really trying to get ready for things getting tough. I think I'll be in the ground before serious persecution comes. But not not my kids, not, mm. not the young people in my church. I think they need to be ready. Francis George, the cardinal from Chicago, said that he thinks he's going to be the last person in his position to die in his bed. He, he said, my successor is going to die in prison, and his successor is going to die a martyr. And then he said, and his successor will be left to help pick up the pieces of a destroyed culture like Christians have done throughout history. And, and sort of that progression is something I think we need to be aware of and be preparing that next generation with not more pizza parties and playtime, but <laughs> serious discipleship that gets them grounded in the Word of God, believing He is the Lord, so they can have the kind of courage of conviction like Micaiah does. Yeah, and Eric, we spent a, an entire season within the institutional church sort of making everything palatable and, and seeker services, and I suppose there's a role for some of those things, but but the, maybe the lack of preparation for what you're describing in light of that kind of environment, it, it seems like maybe there's an invitation to develop the kind of confidence and character that Micaiah had that, that came maybe from a different anchoring point. Oh, 
Absolutely. I mean, you've heard it said maybe what you save people with is what you save them to. And if you save people with a message of, hey, come to Jesus and all your needs will be met and life will life will be easy and you'll be fulfilled and satisfied. If it's a very human-centered message, you're going to get a human-centered Christian life that won't stand the test of time and difficulty. And so I, I say to our folks at our church, look, the reason we gather like this is, one, to get ready to die, and two, to get ready for persecution. So, And I said, my goal is to have a church where we're here for the right reasons so that if persecution comes, we don't lose anybody because we weren't here in the Christian race because it was easy in the first place. So when it gets really hard, well, that, that's not going to affect us. And so we want to have that sort of maybe sacrificing short-term numerical success for long-term Christian character and depth that will actually be a witness to a world where we love our enemies and increasingly display the love of Christ who said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing when they were crucifying him. Eric, this seems like a pretty intense scene in a movie where Makai is being led away, and yet he kind of offers that final urgent warning. If you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Mark my words, all you people. (laughs) I see him kind of getting uh, taken away and that moment being pretty dramatic. Um, Of course, the king didn't believe him, and he was killed in, in the fighting, so yeah. Yeah, and I almost picture the messenger who brought him. He has him by the arm. He's he's probably bound with his hands behind him. He's been slapped in the mouth. Maybe his mouth is bleeding. And this messenger's rolling his eyes, whispering to him, "I told you." And <laughs> and he doesn't. And he looks over his shoulder as he's being led away, saying, "Mark my words. You'll see. You'll see what's going to happen." And sure enough, it, it did happen. I mean, the prophet was absolutely true. They go down terribly in the battle, and all 400 prophets have egg on their face for getting it wrong. But, yeah, the allurements of this world, the threats, don't keep him from being a faithful servant of God and proclaiming the word of the Lord to him. And mm-hmm. so he lives out of his conviction in God's integrity and character rather than the latest desire for for so-called success. Yeah. We're talking to Dr. Eric Taunus, and Eric... Um... I, I would assume that Micaiah is one of the prophets uh, spoken about in the Bible's uh, Hall of Fame, Hall of Faith, I mean. Yeah, not by name, but... No, but, but not he, by name, but no, yeah. I yeah, but no doubt, that. yeah. Yeah, no doubt when, when he talks about the ones who, who suffered terribly for, for their faith in, in Yahweh, yeah. Yeah, when you think of the, the flogging and the chains and the imprisonment and, and all the torture that, that people have gone through for the sake of the gospel, and you think... My, we're not feeling that quite in this day and age. I don't know anyway. Yeah, that, I mean, so he does look remarkably like Jesus and Paul, who yeah. were, had their hands tied, flogged. But And then when Stephen gives his martyrdom sermon, the first martyr, he just recounts all the time God's people, especially the leaders, rejected the true prophets of God. And he said, and now the prophet has come, and you're doing the same thing. Mm, there yeah, you are. I yeah. mean, it's it's just gut-wrenching that he's talking to his own people, and I think with tears is just saying, you're following in the footsteps of people like those 400 prophets who, yeah. who were lying. Mm. Dr. Eric Thomas is our guest. We're in our Old Testament series talking about Micaiah. We learn about him in First Kings 22. We'll be right back.
Talking about Micaiah today with Dr. Eric Tonis, and he is a professor at Biola. Always glad to have him on. And during the break, Peter and I both came up with questions, but we did rock, paper, scissors, and I lost. So, Peter, you go first. <laughs> uh, yeah, all this conversation, Eric, about persecution and, and the difficulty and the hostility in the world, um, it, it doesn't seem terribly uplifting to talk about these things. I mean, sobering and true, yes, but not necessarily uplifting. And it was thinking about um, when it says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross or the disciples you know, counted it joy to be worthy of suffering in the way that Jesus suffered. Is there a way to cultivate an authentic joy and laughter and easy spirit, even when things are rough, as opposed to just telling the next generation, hey, time to sign up for a life of gritted teeth. You just got to power through till you die kind of thing. There, there must be some kind yeah. of joy in the midst of this, right? Yeah, I, yeah I'm so glad you, you took us there, Peter. It is easy to talk about this kind of story or this calling on our lives to to have courage and conviction and speak prophetically, even if it it intensifies the hate of the world toward us. But and by the way, that, that word "world" is important to define because depending on the context, it can mean pretty different things. So, cosmos in the New Testament, for instance, can mean either just the world for God so loved the world. But the Bible also says, love not the world. So it all depends how you use it. So it can mean world just in general, or world as in the fallen system that's in opposition to God, of which we're all a part in a fallen world. And and so, so if the world hates us, we need to take that um, as part of our calling. But to be able to do it with joy, I mean, Paul and Silas in prison— it's just this incredible story because there they are, have been severely flogged, we're told. And they're, they're in Philippi. And at midnight, they start singing hymns mm-hmm. to God. And the other prisoners are listening to them. Now, they were doing that before they knew there was going to be an earthquake. The Philippian jailer is going to come to Christ and start a revival in Philippi and plant one of the most influential churches of the time. (laughs) But before those wonderful revival results come from it, they're still joyful. They're still singing hymns to God and the other prisoners are listening. And that, that, that faithfulness and even joy in the midst of serious opposition after being severely flogged. Is, is something that doesn't kill their joy. The Bible says, be sorrowful and always rejoicing. And we see even Jesus, the Spirit is the one who enables him to rejoice. So, so the Spirit's work in our lives enables us to not only have conviction and, and courage and boldness, but joy and forgiveness and love and all the fruit of the Spirit that are at work, regardless of the circumstances. And so you're right, for the joy set before him, Jesus endures the cross. It, it even an incredibly difficult calling on our lives doesn't sap our joy. In some ways, it fuels it in a way more deeply than if times are easy. Mm. Eric, in the in First Kings, where we learn about Micaiah, I, I think there was some something in there that is troubling when you uh, find out that did God uh, use like a lying spirit to deceive Ahab? Yeah, I know so, I'm saying that very carefully because God doesn't lie, and and 
would he use some like evil spirit in in this instance and why would he do such a thing yeah so god god's working in the context of a king who's resigned himself to evil and i think there's similarity to the way the bible talks about god's sovereign orchestration of pharaoh and the exodus and those sorts of things so here here you get this combination of a a king who's set his path in an evil direction counter to the word of god and then god working sovereignly over and within those human activities for which they are responsible so so yeah, that that's a way of pretty starkly describing God providentially working within the evil course that the king and the nation has taken and not removing God from any of it. So I and I think that's what enables Micaiah to say, okay, I might get executed for this, but God's in this. God's in all of it. it, it, it so so the odds are against me. I I am the least popular guy right now in in the nation, but God's in this. God, God's orchestrating it all in his sovereign wisdom, and I can trust him even in these circumstances. So when the Bible says, in all these things, all these ways of suffering, we're more than conquerors through him and loved us, it's recognizing the sovereignty of God, as Romans 8 so beautifully teaches, in even things that are in opposition to him. He, he, he's not taking a day off. He, these things aren't catching God by surprise. He's orchestrating things even within human evil for which we're responsible in a way where we're able to say, you know what, God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose, even a rebellious king and lying prophets. I didn't think when we started this study on Micaiah, Eric, that that I would discover that this is so incredibly relevant to, to, to today. This guy is oh. so cool. Mm-hmm. He is. He, he is such a hero. And you think of all of the challenges that our society presents our way, whether it's, man, if I had to pick one thing that seems to be popular opinion that we need to keep standing against, it's this idea that man is the measure of all things. You know, Proverbs 14, 12 says there's a way that seems right to man, but at the end it leads to death. But there's this day that, that not only do human beings determine what's right and true and real, but the individual does. So, so I, the, the self now determines everything. There's a sense of an autonomy that each individual has where we all get to be our little gods. And so that's one of the, the, the idea of tolerance, which is maybe the only heresy in our day is that there are some things we should be intolerant about, like lies, like all sorts of any sin and evil. But the permissiveness of our day that thinks individual choice is the highest good uh, over against God's definition of righteousness and goodness and, and realizing some choices are wrong from God's perspective, materialism or hedonism or pragmatism, that man is basically good. Man, there's so many issues of our day that we need to be willing to say, I, I don't think that's true. And as a matter of fact, the opposite's true. And so, yeah, to, to realize, wow, we've got a lot of ideological idols of our day that we need to be willing to call idols and and lies that are going to be destructive to people and dishonoring to God. We just need to be ready for that. 
What would how would you describe the alternative view to the idea of you know you do you or your truth? I mean, clearly uh, Ahab wanted an echo chamber of prophets to just echo back to him what his truth was. But what would be an alternative view, right, to to your truth? How would we understand our lives in this world in relation to God that's different than hey, you just do you? Oh, it's so good the way you put that. He, yeah, he wanted yes, man. And we, we all like to be affirmed in where we are right now. It's like every other pop song is about you're, you're a firework. You, you know, you are, you are. Don't let anybody tell you you need to change one bit. And you're just awesome. From Billy Joel to Lady Gaga, it's just you're awesome, just like you are. Don't you let ever, anybody ever tell you any alterations are needed. And And come on, deep down we all know that we've got some serious issues, every one of us. I, I, I often say to my students, the easiest thing to prove that Christians believe is that we've all got a big sin problem in humanity in our, in our own hearts. And so if that's true, I don't need to just change. I need major heart surgery and transplant and alterations. And so God loves us too much to leave us where we are. And that's why I think your message of rejoicing, but also a positive, don't settle for what won't give you life. Mm. The Lord is the Lord. His ways are the ways that alone will lead to life. And so in the midst of countering lies and things that don't align with God's word, we need to continually offer the message that, look, only God and his ways is going to lead to you what you desperately want, which is joy, intimacy, meaning in life, fulfilling your created destiny. Don't settle for cheap imitations of what God says alone will lead to life, which is ultimately him. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. And he came that we would have life and have it to the full. And so why would we let anybody we love or ourselves settle for anything but God's best for us? So so good. Eric. Yeah, so yeah, good. Yeah, I mean, wow. seriously, yeah. that is so good. I mean, that's good news. That, that's a message yeah. that, you know, people, I think, would their, their hearts would, would rise to in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I think deep down people know that that a under-the-sun-is-Ecclesiastes perspective alone, or that man is the measure of all things, is is vanity. It is emptiness. Mm. Because, I mean, how? You know, I think I might have said to you guys before, I want to write a book on the human heart, and that it is desperately wicked. And you can't listen to the Disney movies that tells you to follow it all the time, or else <laughs> you're going to get in trouble. And And I I just want to talk about, look, like Ecclesiastes, you want to follow just your heart. You want to follow the mere ways of man that are isolated to to the events of humanity. Well, and I want to title the book, How's That Working Out For You? (laughs) (laughs) And it's true. I mean, okay, how long is is sex going to really be your God and you're you're going to still think it's going to keep its promises? Mm -hmm. How long is are just the the lusts of the eyes and the, and the pride of life and just this world. Is that really satisfying what you really want most? And if people will just get off their phones for a second and think for a little bit, mm. they'll say, you know what? It, it's not adding up to what I want it to be. And I want people to see that. And when I just go along with popular opinion... I'm not going to be loving people well. I'm not, I'm not going to be helping them see life from an eternal perspective if I could just go along with the perspective of life under the sun. Uh, T-Dog brought his A-game tonight. He did. Yeah. That's, that is A-plus game out there for sure. That's serious A-game yeah, stuff, is. isn't it? 
for sure. So well, yeah. I'm so intrigued by Micaiah. Thank you for, for, for this, uh, you know, really this study of him. Can you think of anyone from history, possibly the last couple hundred years, that would be like Micaiah? Mm. I was thinking of Bonhoeffer, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. That's a great question. Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah, Bonhoeffer. Well, there's so, like you said, well, Hebrews 11 is the place to start in, in just this amazing history of the just the, the people who have, throughout scriptures, stood with God, often in the, in the significant minority. Um, but... Yeah, there, there are. I, I didn't even think of, of Corey Ten Boom. Now, there's a great yeah. example when you think of a courageous hero. You've got you, you tend to think of somebody who's, you know, Braveheart. But here's here's a woman, uh, a single watchmaker's daughter in in Harlem, in the Netherlands, who, at risk of her life on an hour by hour basis, is helping Jewish people escape uh, escape the Nazis and. And there's a courage in her that doesn't tend to fit the, the sort of heroes we have. And Bonhoeffer's another one. He he's he's no, no swashbuckling guy, although he did pl- pl- start a plot to assassinate Hitler. That didn't work, but, <laughs> but, uh, but 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 even that he did pretty reluctantly. But but yeah, there there are great examples. And and even I, I, the five missionaries. I, what has it been? Sixty-one years since the five guys in Ecuador were mm-hmm. killed. For their faith, they they had guns and and they wanted to preach the gospel to a people who who were known to be killers and and they they wouldn't take matters in their own hands. And Steve Saint asked his dad before he went, "If you will, you use the guns if you get attacked." And he said, "No, because they're not ready to go to heaven yet, and we are." So mm. there's just wow. courage wow. Oh. all over the place. Yeah. That's a that's a, that a game I'm talking about. <laughs> that's, that's an amazing quote. Yeah, yeah. Let's take a little break. We'll come back, continue our study of Micaiah with Dr. Eric Tonis. He is the professor and chair of theology at Biola University. We'll be right back. Dr. Eric Tonis, we're talking about Micaiah today. We learn about uh, him um, in First Kings. And Peter has got a question, Eric, and if this is a good question, I would say Peter is hit for the cycle. <laughs> because <laughs> apparently, according to you, he's asked a lot of good questions today. You know, you haven't said anything to me, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not that Yours insecure. Yours are fine too, Bill. I'm not insecure. Don't worry about it. That's Just ask the question to Peter. Go ahead. Oh, brother. Yeah, you know, it was from Hebrews 11. You and Bill have been talking, Eric, about um, the, the the faith chapter. And I guess I didn't know mm-hmm. that maybe Micaiah was referenced in that, even um, not necessarily by name, but by what happened with him. There is a verse that I've always wondered about. It says that the world is not worthy of them when describing the people who have been under persecution. Do you have any idea what that verse means? Do they somehow just so transcend the world and, and their ability to, to stand in it or anything, any insights from that passage? Yeah, I, I, I think that's an amazing way to refer to those people that I, I just think it's a way of saying it's by grace. The world's been blessed with those people. They certainly don't deserve to have them 
hmm. loving them to death like that. I, I'm always intrigued by that phrase. And, and for years I used it without thinking about it, but I, that phrase, I love you to death. Hmm. And, and that's what they did. They loved the world to death. And, and it's not because they were arrogant or hated the world. It's because they loved the world. And the way God does in John three sixteen, but which is interesting because they loved the world so much in the general sense that they hated it in its opposition to God and opposed it in that, and it cost them their lives. And so here the the Hebrews are being they're they're incre- the persecution is getting turned up for the Hebrews that are being written to there. And so the author is is trying to get them ready. He says, look, your homes have been ransacked. Apparently there haven't been any martyrs yet, but it seems like it's right around the corner. So he's getting them ready for persecution. And so he gives these examples of these people and says, look, don't wait until people earn your self-sacrificial love. He's saying, don't wait till they deserve it. Oh, it's never been about being worthy of it. It, it's about the grace of God and our lives being examples of that. And and so none of it, that's why I'm really uncomfortable with some of the preaching I hear because it's like, oh, you don't feel worthy. You are worthy. No, you're not. That's that's not the source of God's love. My worthiness or my lovability has never been the source of God's love or grace toward me. It's God. He is loving because that's who he is. And I'm so grateful he didn't wait around for me to make myself worthy or lovable before he loved me and made me worthy in Christ in spite of my unworthiness. And so I think that's what that's saying is, is the world didn't deserve these people who, to love him to death, but they were exhibiting God's love and grace that isn't earned. It's not something you're worthy of. That's kind of the whole part of the definition that we we have a hard time with. It's amazing grace. It's unworthy. It's, we're not worthy of it. We don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Uh, and God loves us anyway. And that's how we need to love. When I see Micaiah and I look at his life, I it's pretty clear who had the privileged place of authority in his life. And it was clearly God. And I would love, Eric, for you to talk about, the, uh, you know, what kind of authority uh, does God have in your life, I mean, not you, you specifically, but how important of a topic that is for all of us. Yeah. Um, what in particular? Well, I think there's some believers that I think, do we fully understand the exchanged life? Do we, mm. do we go through the, a buffet line of saying, I'm certainly okay with being obedient to God in this department, in this area? But I think when it comes to things like maybe my finances or my sexuality, I think I better, yeah. I better hold the purse strings on that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm ready to uh, turn over and surrender all yeah. parts of my life. Because I have these conversations with people often. Right. That, that's such a good way to put it. I, I do think that one of the inclinations we have that even Satan gets a hold of is being mostly surrendered to God. Mm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, if I, if I'm, we're all pretty happy with a high, high B or, but when it comes to God, if he's the Lord, there's no area of our life we can section off and, and reserve for myself or the world that isn't under his sovereignty. And like I said, the whole point of this is in chapter 20, where God says, look, I'm the Lord. I'm I'm not the God of the valleys or just the mountains. I'm not this territorial deity, this, I'm Lord of it all. 
And if that's true of all of creation, it's true of all of my life. And so for me to to um, somehow, well, yeah, Lord, that's kind of off limits. My sexuality is off limits. My money's off limits. My my, you know, passion, my hobby that's actually got more devotion mm-hmm. than you do. That's well, that's mine. Leave that one alone. <laughs> that's that's victory. That That's almost an entire victory. And so this idea that I come to God piecemeal, I come to God partially just misses the whole point of who he is and what it means to truly be a disciple. You don't come with, with sort of your job description or your prioritization of what he gets. and what he, You don't barter with God like that. He, all we are, all we have is his. He's the creator after all. And when you talk to people about their faith, their, a faith or you try to share Christ with them, they, they try to do um, cost-benefit analysis. They mm. do it thinking, well, what do I have to surrender? What do I have to get up, give up? Will life be less fun? I mean, it seems to be a pretty typical conversation. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. If I'm thinking about these things, even just now, uh, Eric, or, you know, heading into the evening with friends, family, whatever it looks like, uh, and you think, gosh, I don't know that really I've given God authority in all those spheres of my life. Uh, are there just prayer suggestions, things that you can do? I mean, I'm assuming it's not a one-time event. It's not like you wake up the next morning fully surrendered or something. What does a life look like um, related to that? Yeah, I I was just reading a sermon by Thomas Chalmers, and he basically says, you don't will sin away. You don't will idolatry away. It's any passion needs to be replaced with a stronger passion. And I think sometimes Mm -hmm. in our efforts to combat idolatry or kill sin in our lives, we try to will the sin away or we try to to just do this by the by the seat of our pants. But but I think the key is is to seek to behold the glory of God in the face of Christ and know God as my driving passion. And as I do, I'll have the same reaction as Isaiah or Peter when they see the glory of God and they say, Woe is me, I'm a sinful man, or depart from me, I, I'm a sinful man. And and then I see sin for what it is in light of the glory of God. And I think, why in the world would I give myself to any idol, to any uh, lying sin in my life? I've been mm-hmm. sinning 57 years, guys, and sin has never kept its promise once to mm-hmm. me. And so why would I keep believing it when it <laughs> entices so me, right? So, so uh, yeah, I think the key is to, to focus on knowing God because that naturally drives out my passion for so-called gods, lesser gods, and and makes it the foolishness of giving myself to anyone or anything but the one true God so much more evident. Mm-hmm. So, Eric, if we walk away tonight with this com- from this conversation with Micaiah, what would you say one or two things you'd want us to most remember about him? Yeah, the, he he knew the Lord was the Lord, and therefore. He could only live and speak truth according to who the Lord is. And, and, that, and so Lord defines his life. He doesn't define it. Popular opinion doesn't define it. The latest opinion polls don't define it. God does and, because he's the creator. And so to orient our lives in such a God-centered way that obeying him becomes quite natural to us and speaking his truth 
regardless of the practical negative ramifications on our lives. That's not what sways us anymore. That's not what carries weight in our lives. So, you know, voices, it ought, it's been said, ought to be weighed, not counted. And, and if, if we weigh voices, well, God's going to be more weighty than all the human voices that have ever lived. And, and so we trust him and his word then and live according to it. And that's what will lead to life alone. So appreciate you coming on. You know, there's never any money for this. You know that, don't you? <laughs> I'm still waiting for. Okay, yeah, well, keep, I, keep I'm waiting. assuming that I was assuming the mail was stuck or something. Look, listen, guys. I just got this text from my brother. He said, "So I'm driving home from work at the corner of Southeastern Avenue and 26th Street in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, listening to Faith Radio." <laughs> and hey. I know that voice. <laughs> Eric, honest. Oh, I used to share socks and underwear. <laughs> My brother right. Carl. That's fantastic. He was driving home and heard his brother, and he wants to call in and say, you shouldn't listen to him. He doesn't know what he's talking oh, about. Oh, that's hysterical. That is really lovely. That's your brother Carl? Yes. Hey, Carl. He just wanted to say hi to Carl. <laughs> All right, Eric. Thank you so much. Look forward to next time. Guys, you're great. It's always thanks. a blast. Thank thanks you so much. Yeah, thanks, Eric. All right. Dr. Eric Tonis has been our guest as we've talked about Micaiah. Oh, boy, this one, if you've missed, you have to go by and check it out. Go to the podcast, myfaithradio.com, and start it from the beginning. I know I'm going to do that tonight. Yeah, I, I just, have to go back and listen. Oh, There's gosh, I was many. thinking there was like 100 people I need to send that to you. But for me, first and foremost, there, there yeah. was so much richness yeah. in all of that. And Eric's off, but Carl's still listening. So we can say to Carl, your brother's really cool. He is really cool. <laughs> <laughs> we think he's really cool. All right, that's our show for, the, for today. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Faith Radio. I hope you have a great night. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.